0: Spoiler alert, here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney.
1: I've officially been accepted into firefighting starting that February 28th. Are we, we on the be... record? Are
2: we on the record right now?
1: We can be on the record.
2: Oh this, kind of, this has been uh, cooking for a little while. You, sir, been percolating. are gonna be a real hero. New York's finest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, sure, I'll, I'll take it. I won't, I won't fight back on it, but obviously, there's uh, a lot to prove. A, a lot to prove. I'm not, I'm not a, I'll, I'll be maybe a content hero. I'll continue to be a content hero with this podcast.
2: Okay, that's good. So wow, this is gonna change your okay. life in like a really big way.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's uh, like scheduling it's like, your it's... life
2: around your shifts uh, is that's pretty foundational.
1: Well, yeah. And, and that'll change down the road. Like it gets to a point where it's 24 hours on 72 hours off, but in the beginning it's like four days on one day off Monday through Friday. kind right. of thing. So, so until we get there, it's, it's, um, it should be pretty, pretty standard, like 10 and a half hour days. But yeah, I mean, ideally you get into it because it's what you're, what you want to be doing until you retire like until something stops you from being a firefighter you're a firefighter
2: well this is so great i'm so excited for you i've known for a little while that you've had this cooking and it it always looked good right like it seems like they didn't mislead you because here you are now uh you know completing the process but like all along i was like gee they seem to like really like slaney like they never discouraged you
1: no, no, definitely not. I mean, the the first time I did it was in like 2017. And I just didn't quite make it past like I wasn't in like the top percentile yeah. to like move on to the next stage. And I kind of learned from that and studied up for the this this past one, which is kind of taking place in 2021 slash early 2022. And uh, yeah, I managed to to get through everything okay. So uh, and, and so yeah, everyone was basically like, you know, once I there, it, it got to a certain point where it was like, it seems like it's looking good for me to to actually get through this. So, yeah, that's the first step, and then you know we do like four months of training, come uh, February March.
2: What does Jen have to say about it? Because I feel like she's probably roasting you a bit.
1: No, not at all. Very no. very positive. Like. No, she's she knows that that's like a thing I wanted to do. It's not. She's never. Oh, yeah. She she's not one in in any way to ever like be super critical of something that I've I've wanted to do.
2: No, of course not. That's what I mean. I just mean that she she razzes you like nobody else, and you. This is like a thing that you've been getting excited about, and so that's I don't know low hanging fruit.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think she's. I think she's. Uh, she's been like me about that at all weirdly
2: how about your mom? because you were a little concerned that she'd be concerned which is a reasonable thing
1: yeah it's hard to say what the exact if i it's hard for me to to recreate the moment but it was kind of like uh like there was like a a nod and a smile and kind of like a slow eyes close of like <laughs> yeah i got it like this is what you're what you're doing huh so okay. all right i'm happy for you like like yeah it what it, it was not by no means was she jumping through the roof there was no like okay in most instances my mom would be like i'm so glad that you're doing this right that was not said no no <laughs> it was very much like i'm very happy for you i'm I like that your hard work paid off, but never like, oh, that's just great. Like, everything's just fantastic. It wasn't quite that.
2: Well, she recognizes that no matter how she may feel, this ship has sailed and this is happening. And obviously, any reservation, she has come from uh, a very good place. Uh, but you're probably, totally. you're probably wise to like sit on that for as long as you did.
1: Yeah, she, she mentioned, um, like, how she said the same thing my sister, like, I, like, I wish I could tell my kids what to do, but they don't have to do what I want them to do anymore, and so, well, but yeah. she remembered me, like, in junior high, saying that I wanted to go into firefight, like, she was like, I remember as a kid, like, you, like, this was something that you always wanted, so.
2: Well, and... It, you make a good point because it's a very different kind of parental worry. But like her other kid decided to be a vocational playwright, and so like, yeah. your poor mom yeah. is going to be worried about her kids forever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, she, I was fine for a, a long time. The first like fifteen years of of school and and work were like, okay, he's a you know he's, he's straight ahead, he's got it going. And then, yeah, after fifteen years after high school graduation. Knock,
2: knock. I'm a firefighter. <laughs> we had a firefighter in our house today because he's our neighbor. And, uh, oh, okay. It was just casually mentioned to him that our, our kitchen sink, our faucet is loose. And we don't know what to yeah. do about that. And he's handy. And so uh, he came over to take a look at it. And apropos of nothing, he noticed our fire extinguisher was underneath the kitchen sink. And he's like, listen, as a firefighter, I can't not tell you that this is a bad place for your fire extinguisher. Because <laughs> in order to get to it, you have to pass by the stove where the grease fire might be. So right. you really should have it on the other side of your house. And we're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. We learned something
1: today. Yeah, And they they say that it should be like somewhere like reachable in like the middle of the room. But yeah. but I I see most people probably don't want to just hang a fire, like a, a random fire extinguisher, like a big red thing in the middle of their wall.
2: I'm happy to. I honestly hadn't thought of it, which is, you know, not a thing to be proud of, but it hadn't really occurred to me. Similarly, though, I can remember... Being like four or five, like one of my earliest memories, we had like a house call from a firefighter. I don't know if it was like some neighborhood audit they were doing, but like firefighters were going into homes and like looking at probably just like checking smoke detectors and stuff. And they told my parents because they had their toaster plugged in and it was like after breakfast. They told my parents, you shouldn't leave your toaster plugged in. And yeah, I've never left a toaster plugged in a second longer than I had to for the for the next 25 years i have like this is your
1: this is your chicken
2: my chicken oh right you won't eat raw chicken
1: i'm i'm scared of of chicken (laughs) and you're scared of toasters
2: i guess it's kind of a this is us thing too because that's sort of how jack died there's like some i was gonna say did that
1: corroborate anything for you were you like yes here's exactly why you never leave the toaster plugged in (laughs)
2: Yes. I mean, it's it's very similar. But, like, honestly, as soon as that toast pops, I yank that cord out of the wall. And I have for a quarter <laughs> of a century. Wow. Something really stuck in my brain. It's similarly, hey. uh, this is, now we're getting off topic, but, like, I, I heard somebody, I saw somebody tweet um, that whoever was in charge of the messaging that dolphins can get their noses stuck in six-pack rings, like, was so effective like of all the messages they sent to our generation yeah. that one got across gangbusters
1: totally everyone <laughs> breaks those six packs out yeah it's specifically
2: yeah. the image of the dolphin bottlenose getting stuck in the six pack right
1: <laughs> yeah
2: well i'm happy it's for images you buddy it's
1: like that that they're sticky <laughs> thanks man you yeah. did it yeah i'm pumped you, about
2: it. and now uh new adventures ahead gonna be a good year yeah what have you been watching, consuming media-wise, content-wise?
1: So we finished Station Eleven. Yeah. It was great. Okay. It was, I'd recommend it to anyone. Great. Very solid watch.
2: I will. I'm going to um, watch Station Eleven, but it also it just occurred to me this week that I think I owe Euphoria another chance just because they're in their hot moment right now.
1: And people are really talking about euphoria, but I don't know it. that I would ever be able to get it. It's like high school kids doing using heavy drugs. High school like, kids being like
2: being as sad and as broken as we could imagine them. But yeah. I don't know, people love it, so I, I think maybe I want to give it one more chance, even if it's like pretty hardcore.
1: Yeah, it's it's not even that we're above. Like obviously, we could do a Dawson's Creek. Rewatch and that's totally fine. Right, Fresh Prince of Bel Air and all these high school shows. That's it. Doesn't feel we and like I'm watching Saved by the Bell, the the recreation, and I think it's super funny. But no but levity. Euphoria, Euphoria is like a different, yeah, yeah, different beast. Station
2: Eleven was good though. You're happy with that? What about? Uh, did you finish Yellow Jackets? Because Becky did.
1: I-, I finished Yellow Jackets too. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, again, it was it was one of those things where you you really knew as you were getting toward the end, like. Oh, they're leaving a lot of stuff open-ended. I did yes. listen to a podcast with um, two of the creators, two of the writers on the show on, on the watch. And the thing that was reassuring for me was like, they, they know where everything's going. Mm. So I liked to hear that. I
2: actually, um, that's, that's fine. But I also kind of think that showrunners always tell they them, always their network that, yeah. that. Like it's just, it's to inspire confidence in their creative product
1: right yeah yeah and that's fair who's gonna go on and be like i I mean that has happened on like mad men where they're like well you want to keep it running for as long as it'll go and you're like oh well i don't want to watch this anymore
2: no i mean mad men to me didn't quite overstay its welcome any longer and it would have been too long but i actually think it's it's the exception to the rule
1: but because i heard that I I didn't want to uh, because I heard the creator say that. I was like, oh, well, I'm out after like season three and a half or something.
2: Becky was disappointed by the end of Yellow Jackets. And all she told me was that they don't eventually catch up to that opening scene in the pilot. With the girl running through and then she gets strung up. And like that's disappointing. Like you think that that's what we're building to for 10 episodes.
1: It really is kind of the most disappointing part like you want that's what hooks you you yeah. want to get to the bottom of that but there is a lot of other stuff that comes up that you you kind of want to dig into a little bit and some stuff gets answered or like shown by the end of it and you're able to kind of parse some other things and then there was kind of a twist couple twists at the end. So that was cool. But yeah, I just hope Showtime doesn't overdo it. But will Becky watch the second season?
2: Yeah, maybe if she's aware of it. I think that she just kind of caught the bug while I was watching the first episode, and she can handle that kind of stuff a little bit better than me, and she had time yeah. during the workday sometimes to throw one on. But she wasn't, like, praying at the altar of Yellow Jackets or anything. She thought it was fun. No, no. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Yeah.
2: I watched uh, the movie Come On, Come On, which is Joaquin Phoenix and the little boy.
1: Yeah, did you like
2: it? I really liked it. It was really sweet. I don't know how important it was, like especially considering it was Joaquin Phoenix. You expect there to be some kind of like great art behind it, and and maybe that's what makes it a departure for him artistically. Is that he's just kind of playing a guy. Like you know how some yeah. actors are are just not that drawn to playing regular Joes, who also yep. can be like really profound and moving characters. By the way, like Tom Cruise is a good example. Like not since Jerry Maguire has he played a, a, a just a dude. And it would be nice if he returned to that. So this is this is what makes it kind of interesting for Joaquin. He's just playing a guy who's like kind of a sad sack, but like not uh, not concerningly so. Like he's just kind of like yeah. a, just a dude, uh, and he develops a a bond with his nephew. And it's really great. It's beautifully shot. It it the the profundity of Come on, Come on is in its quietness and its mundanity there's no like big moment there's no like hey maybe this was actually representative of this it's just a movie about two boys essentially
1: cool yeah i'd be in that i'll watch that for sure have you watched belfast i've heard that that's kind of got similar like sentiments
2: yeah I'm, I'm psyched to see belfast it hasn't um the rental fees are still like 25 bucks to, to watch gotcha. it once or something. So I'll wait for that to come down. I do really want to see it. I think currently Belfast is the front runner for best screenplay in the Oscars. Yeah. Whereas like power of the dog is probably the front runner for best picture just because it's like in the early awards getting that's, it's really too early to tell and, and the narrative can shift, but it seems like people are psyched about Kenneth Branagh's script. Um, it'd be interesting too, if he wins an Academy award for, for, A screenplay because he used to be married to Emma Thompson who also has one for writing the Sense and Sensibility adaptation. They're both most famous as actors but if they divorced each other and and won screenwriting Oscars it would be a strange coincidence.
1: Interesting And, and what was Kenneth Branagh from like what's his big claim? So you would know him to see him. Yeah okay.
2: Like our oh you you can't think you can't uh I can't even think, oh of him gotcha, now. well, so this is probably a little bit like Malcolm McDowell, where my my examples are pedestrian, like our generation knows him as Gilderoy Lockhart, and he's doing these um uh hercule Poirot uh, adaptations now, and he's like a like a
1: handsome british guy right i I see him now, I recognize him. I recognize him from something, like, kind of recent. Yeah,
2: he was in that Christopher Nolan movie, The War One. Dunkirk. He was in that.
1: Dunkirk. That must be where I recognize him from.
2: He's fantastic. He's very, very good. And I'm excited to see this movie, which feels, like, a little bit autobiographical.
1: Like a serious actor.
2: High instance of black and white movies in this year's award season between Belfast and Come On, Come On, and also passing the Ruth Naga movie, which was in black and white.
1: Is that is this a thing? Do we need it? Like no, we don't need would it. Would you say would you say that that a fully colorized version of Come On Come On does it take anything away? I like, think that it's not I, a color. Having seen
2: it, I haven't seen Belfast. It takes place in another time. It's about memory and nostalgia. I can see why the black and white is important for what I know about that movie, and I definitely see the overt symbolism in a movie like Passing being in black and white, but. Come on, come on. I actually thought that while watching it. Like, there is no reason other than that this looks pretty that it's in black and white. And maybe that's enough. Nice. Like, sometimes you yeah. you run a photo through an Instagram filter and the black and white one looks best, and so that's the one you share. And so sure. that's okay, but I, I don't think it actually contributes a lot to the movie. I think it matters also that the movie is cut between, like, the Venice Boardwalk in Los Angeles and also, like, New York City. Like, a lot of their streetscapes... Are, they have the potential for a lot of vibrancy, and the movie doesn't mm-hmm. disguise that either. And so I'm not really sure what the what the color palette or the lack thereof is meant to represent And Come On, Come On. It did look gorgeous, but I don't think it needed to be in black and white.
1: Right. And mm. yes, to answer okay.
2: your question, it's becoming a thing. Every award season has at least one token black and white movie now.
1: Remember when Nebraska did it? Yeah. With like Will Forte, it was kind of also a weird choice. It didn't really need to be in black and white.
2: Well, not not to the extent that like the artist needed it.
1: Yeah, you know? or even like, um uh, like Schindler's List,
2: Schindler's List for sure. Yeah, no, I mean that's yeah. that's really the, I don't know if it's the first example, but like deciding to do this provocative thing where we can, especially where it's Steven right. Spielberg, whose whole thing is like doing something with movies you didn't know you could do visually, and then he, dies. Right. he turns the 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 thing around, mm-hmm. and Roma was in black and white again, like. I and think beautiful looking, I don't know. Maybe for the same reasons, Belfast, like the nostalgia component. Yeah, yeah. I also watched gotcha. The Lost Daughter, which is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut, and it stars Olivia Colman and Dakota Johnson and Jesse Buckley. And I guess it's based on a novel, I think fairly loosely. It's a Netflix movie that is like good and unlike, come on, come on, it's not an ABC story. You leave this movie going like, what the hell did the pinecone mean? oh really it's really one of those movies i would encourage you watch it just because i'd love to talk to somebody about it um it's not it's It's an interesting watch it is an interesting watch and that's the best word for it and like anything involving olivia coleman is gonna be good right it's you know it's it's not like a barrel of monkeys it's very thought-provoking it's not like the best time i've had watching a movie this year but i never fell out of it like it's like i said it's like what does the pine cone mean what do the dresses mean like yeah, and it's it's a very quiet, slow burn of a movie, and it's essentially about the. Uh, I, I think I'm taking this from somebody else, but the dark side of motherhood and like what we don't often consider about like uh, some of the the pains and the anxieties and the even the self hatred that exists sometimes in motherhood, and so it it has a real yeah. darkness to it. And Dakota Johnson's really good too.
1: Hey, did you ever end up watching Pig with Nicolas Cage?
2: No, but I want to.
1: It's actually probably the movie that I enjoyed. When I think back on the movies that I watched this year, I think that was my favorite movie.
2: Enjoyed it, too. Not just like, this is good, but this was fun to
1: watch. Oh, yeah. No, it was actually like a great watch.
2: I'm glad to hear that, because I kind of thought it was
1: really self-serious. Yeah, no, I I would watch it again. I actually, like, I think I'm going to try to convince Jen to watch it. I watched... um, Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say Encanto I watched as well, based on our, our conversation. What did you think of that? Did I oversell it? I, I loved it. No, I thought it was great. You might have oversold. We Don't Talk About Bruno because I actually thought the first song was like the biggest
2: jam. The family song? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Mad-
1: I don't know. I just like got into it so quickly. I, I think it was like, you know, how when you start listening to an album, by the time you get to like the sixth song, it's not necessarily, it doesn't quite hit you the same. Like, start strong and then like, it was definitely a good perk up in the middle, but I, I found yeah. that one was was good. And I think it was like the high of knowing that it was uh, Stephanie Beatriz. I had no idea that it was her.
2: I know. It's crazy. I, yeah, I mean, she's, she's so undetectable. The Rosa of it is just really not present in there at all.
1: No, no, not at all. She
2: had also been in In the Heights. And so there's like another Lin-Manuel connection there. There's also a song in between oh, those crazy. two. Uh, the song Surface Pressure, which the Strong Sister sings. That song is excellent.
1: That sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that one was, was underrated as well. I didn't think about that one until I, you just mentioned it. And that, that was a jam.
2: And do you see what I mean about how th- this movie didn't require a big epic quest of self exploration? Like the whole movie takes place in her house and it feels like a very full story.
1: Well, it's a very cool house, I think, is the reason.
2: Sure, of course. But she didn't have to, yeah. like, cross a rope bridge over a canyon and go find a soothsayer in the woods and, like, bring her, her little starfish friend along or anything like that. It it was void right. of some of the the tropes of Disney storytelling and I found that refreshing.
1: Well, when she was in Bruno's room, she did have to figure out how to swing a rope over <laughs> a canyon <laughs> into that, like, you know, the other right. side. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I I, I loved it. That was great. And actually, I will say, like, one of the craziest looking movies ever like it actually was like this is almost 3d like i feel like i'm in in like future shop back in the day looking at a big screen tv being like whoa like there's no way that it could be this like crisp and clear and colorful like that was the whole
2: like movie like the little yellow butterflies embroidered on her dress are like sensational they're stunning it was awesome. With every new Disney, I remember feeling that way about the way Water looked when Moana came out. Like holy yeah. crap. Look at what they've done.
1: Totally. We watched another movie on Saturday or on Friday night too, but I can't remember it now. We we actually did a back to back movie night. I love a double feature. But feet. you can't tell us the second. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of like a a Marvel esque style movie. Oh, we watched Eternals. You watched it Eternals.
2: I knew you were gonna yeah. watch Eternals.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, it, like, COVID times when we, it's not like we've got... Uh, I mean, you're like in for a penny now. You've
2: watched them all. Like, you you have to watch it.
1: Exactly. It just feels like it's so easy to just watch one when it comes out. Was it okay? Like, obviously, like, I don't think
2: anybody really hated it, but it certainly didn't move the needle.
1: Yeah, I thought it was, um, stuff they did was kind of interesting. I don't think either of us came out of it being like, Fuck yeah, Eternals! But it was like, um, I think we were like, yeah, it was, a, it was a Marvel movie. We kind of thought it got like maybe shit on a little bit more than it should have. But there were some parts where you're like, oh, okay, now I could see why they would dig into that.
2: Right. I mean, there was so yeah. much hype up just like all around Kumail's muscles. Like we
1: talked about, it seemed like he was right. like
2: bodybuilding for like three years to be in this movie. But I don't think
1: he- I don't think he had to. I think he was like, if I'm going to be in a Marvel movie, I just want to get jacked.
2: It was an investment in his movie stardom. It was like, I'm going to be the next Chris Pratt. Right.
1: Right. And he did it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I guess we'll see what. He was funny in it.
1: He was really good in it. I thought Richard Madden was like, oh yeah, pretty pretty solid. Not not really like very serious in it. But
2: he have we seen him be like funny before? Like even in Bodyguard. And that is kind of like no. his proto James Bond audition, but he's really self serious in that. He's in Rocket Man, but I think he's like kind of the villain in
1: it. He's okay in that, in that movie Ibiza, the one with um, with Gillian Jacobs and like Vanessa Bayer, which yeah, I, was like I a Netflix movie. Yeah, you don't need to, but he was like for the sake of him, kind of playing like a funny DJ. He was he was Jamie okay.
2: Dornan in Barb and Star, but in Ibiza.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, no, not quite that goofy. He no, was, nothing he was is still, quite like, that goofy. <laughs> he, was, he, was he was like the hard who was still like, kind of serious, but he, he like had, some, had some little jokes.
2: You mentioned uh, Pig, and you reminded me that I watched the full Hollywood Reporter Roundtable of actors this year, which has like some really good people. Uh, Andrew Garfield is there, and um, I think Peter Dinklage is there, and Nicolas Cage is there. And it's like the first time you've seen Nicolas Cage engage with actors or really even be interviewed in a thoughtful way in such a long time and man I'm so psyched about the Cage-assance like he completely completely runs the table like he has the first answer for every question and then he's like prodding other people for what they said and like he has further questions about it he also brings the best stories like it's just it's like 48 minutes I really recommend the Hollywood Reporter Actors Roundtable with Nicolas Cage because he's like he is so there and I think we forgot along the way that he was not always a parody of himself. He was actually legit, and he is still yeah, yeah. fully capable of being legit.
1: Huh, that's so interesting. I like, because even the stories that you hear, like the the Nicholas Cage story that Seth Rogen tells right. in his book, is like he's crazy. Like, yeah, I know. And he, he and he's trying to be like, like, but the, like that's the story you're getting. So I'd love to see something that makes him like a little more grounded.
2: Well, I mean, he's still pretty out there. He's still Nick Cagey, but you're right. That story makes okay. him crazy. And I thought about that too. And, like, I don't think that Seth's book is untruthful, although I think that it certainly pulled no punches and was not afraid to be really dishy. And so, if he got a guy yeah. on a bad weekend or he found a way to, like, kind of manipulate it to make Nick sound kind of racist, or, or I think he would have done it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair enough.
2: Anyway, pretty good. Speaking of actors doing weird things uh, behind the curtain, did you hear about this, Leo? Jonah Hill Mandalorian thing
1: yeah so was I, I don't know if Jonah Hill is involved so as Leonardo's ex-girlfriend said he rented out a movie theater and just like played with a lightsaber or something so that
2: part's not true that part is okay. that part is like a parody of the original story which is that Leonardo Di- Leonardo DiCaprio forced Jonah Hill to watch Every episode of The Mandalorian, even though Jonah didn't want to, like he made him sit down and watch 16 episodes of The Mandalorian and Jonah didn't care. And so it's just, it's interesting because I don't really even think of Leo and Star Wars existing in the same universe. I know that there was this like legend about how they cast Jake Lloyd to be young Annie so that Leo could play him in episode two and that's why like they don't look alike because they thought they could get leo and leo said no right so this kind of like ross and i talked about how this really recolors that history because like maybe leo wanted to and he got bad advice or he got good advice and like is there still a world where leo could be in the right star wars project and i say absolutely not in fact i think there's i think I think there's absolutely no actor who i think is less likely to be in star wars than leo and i'm not sure why
1: maybe i just haven't besides like daniel day lewis <laughs> who is yeah ultimately retired from acting
2: right yeah even still i think like I, we've got ethan hawk in a marvel movie coming up and like so like yeah. i know a lot and we saw you know viola davis in suicide squad today or whatever and like the these actors you don't expect can come in anyway but like Leo is so singular with his one movie a year where he's the lead and it's like, it's a big acting thing. It's not going to happen. So it's just so weird that he has this like kind of cringy boyish instinct about something that any one of us might also have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's weird to think that you share interest, but I think he's like, actually, although he's such a serious actor, I think he's like one of the more like fun loving guys.
2: Oh, I think he likes to have fun. Yeah, <laughs> It's not the yeah. first of those stories, but it's also like a new dynamic for Jonah to find Leo kind of irritating to be like, ah, oh,
1: fine. <laughs> yeah. If Leo wants to, well, sure. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. that That is, uh, it's funny to think about Jonah being like, ah, uh, famous movies, like what most famous movies are on the planet. Like give me a break.
2: Right. Speaking of, uh, blockbusters, um, just quickly on the Joss Whedon piece that went around. You dropped yeah. out pretty early on. I read every word. Yeah, because I'm a sucker for punishment, I guess. Or I've just really come sure. to like a ten thousand word celebrity hit piece. I think. Um, although, yeah, it, I not, mean, not to say that he doesn't deserve it, because it's like actually very like it. Really, he only incriminates himself. It's the only reason he looks bad is because he says shitty things in it.
1: I think the reason that I liked the Jeremy Strong one was it was kind of like in the zeitgeist. Like it was, it was at least around the same time as like the finale episode. It was making its rounds. This one, I was like it's not really exploring someone's like creative side and why they do what they do. It was like, here's why he's a bad person. And I was like, I, I just, I don't, I already don't like him.
2: I, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't feel any like allegiance to him either. I, I disagree that it's about here's why he's a bad person. Cause I actually think for a lot of the article, they're giving him the benefit of the doubt of like making the thesis of the piece that okay. that narrative is out of your control but, like, they they make a point of, like, kind of pitting him against Zack Snyder. That, like, Joss Whedon is the antithesis of Zack Snyder and that they, like, direct these big, like, crossover movie blockbusters, uh, superhero movies. They have such stylistic differences about them. And, like, there was a time where Joss Whedon was on top of the world and, like, was literally worshipped and, like, credited with inventing, like, a whole genre of, of media. Meanwhile, uh... People called 300 racist and like like Zack Snyder was like not a zeitgeisty like cool director um, right. and then whether or not he's a good guy it doesn't matter and then somewhere along the line the roles got reversed and so the piece is kind of like giving everybody the benefit of the doubt and that like somewhere along the line it was cool to like Zack Snyder to the point that like a four hour movie got made that was already made and like you're not allowed to like Joss Whedon again. But then in the like the final paragraph of the piece, Joss says, you know, could I have been a nicer guy? Maybe. But then he kind of ruminates on it and he's like, But actually, no, I think, respectively, I'm one of the nicer guys in the business. And that's how it ends. And so you're like, oh, you've actually learned nothing about everything yeah. we just read about. You have done no like the, we, we're under the impression that you've agreed to do this to get your side out because you've done some reflecting and like there's more context to be learned and actually you haven't reflected for a sec
1: that, and
2: that was kind of the great poetry of the piece i thought
1: yeah yeah it uh yeah like i i mentioned I was just, I read, one of the biggest things that turned me off that to the point where i was like i don't want to read this anymore was Learning that his name was Joseph, and yeah. he decided to call himself Joss in yeah. university. I was like, ha, that's it. And he still calls himself Joss.
2: Yeah, this is like a 50-year-old man who's like, I still want to be Joss.
1: Yeah. yeah no, it that's
2: dumb. never really occurred to me that it's such an insane name. I think for a long time, I thought it was Josh Whedon, and then... Right,
1: Okay. And then you thought it was maybe just like a cultural thing, like oh, maybe he's like he's Welsh, and this is like a, a popular name yeah. there. Like yeah. who knows? <laughs> and it just sounds cool. See
2: how I gave him the benefit of the doubt too,
1: and we should have right.
2: And then there is also the irony of him having created Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and like such a big part of his persona having been like feminism, and uh, and that turning out to be completely uh, fraudulent is is an interesting well, think- aspect of his of his story.
1: An interesting point. How much of a of a Buffy head are you? Like, how how familiar are you? Not not terribly at all. No. Okay. Do you, are, you, are you familiar with the character Spike? Uh, no. Kind of like a Billy Idol looking guy, like well, British. That's, that's who I was picturing, like...
2: but I, that's what I thought. That's who I thought Angel was.
1: No, Angel is the guy from Bones.
2: Oh. Okay. No, I do so know who Spike Angel. is then. Yes.
1: So Spike character that, and this is a secondhand story that I heard from my friend who's who's watching an interview with Joss Whedon at one point about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, really. Anyways, <laughs> he um, assaulted um, Buffy in an episode, like sexually assault, like it was like sexual a straight up sexual assault episode.
2: Yeah. And the
1: fans for some reason like loved Spike. Like no matter, like these vampires were supposed to be like these demonic evil like evil like they're supposed to be kind of demonstrative of like the demons inside of us and like how they're all bad mm. so apparently joss whedon like famously hated that fans liked spike and he had to continue like keeping him in but he like also wrote these very kind of harrowing things. so the fact that he wrote the character actually like sexually assaulting like yeah the star of the show is kind of a it, i mean it you read into that as much as you.
2: Well, I mean, it but. means that he knows the difference, but of course he does. What's interesting about that is it also mirrors what I just said about public narrative about how like your actions actually have nothing to do with with how you're perceived. It's just what people say you should feel about a person. And so like right. they had already decided because they like Spike that that's okay. But if somebody else hadn't done it, like or had done it, it would have been taboo. Or I didn't see the episode. But it's 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 interesting how art imitates life in it. Mm,
1: in it, in it, as Spike would say. Uh,
2: Matt Reeves' The Batman is two hours, 47 minutes without credits. People seem to be outraged about this, but I couldn't be less surprised that it it's pushing three yes. hours. That seems like a foregone conclusion at
1: this point. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's not super shocking.
2: No, not at all. What do you think of the, the title of the new Lord of the Rings TV series? The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power.
1: I was going to say, The Power of the Rings... Pretty much. It's Return the of the, of the rings. Yeah, uh, I watched the trailer for it. It was like very, it was exactly what you kind of would have expected. Yeah. A ring like being forged over uh, some voiceover.
2: I know. I just really wonder like how much of this is Peter Jackson's universe and how much of it is Tolkien's? Like, Whose idea was it and when uh, to pronounce it Mortor? Like who decided that? Was it was that twenty years ago, or was that decided eighty years ago? Because we're doing that again, and I
1: we're bringing it back. It
2: just feels like the same to me.
1: Yeah, and also we're we're aware that it's not like Peter Jackson has only produced gold. Like, you know, he did he did the Lord of the Rings. He did get back. All of those are A pluses. Yeah, uh, you know, they they shall not grow old. I think was was probably an A plus, but. He also had those three pesky Hobbit movies mixed in there, too. Not to mention Um, King Kong. And King Kong. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there's space for him to fail. (laughs) Yeah, but this has
2: nothing to do with him. You know that, right? So, he's he's outside of it. He's outside. But I'm just wondering, like, are we just, like, ripping off Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings? Like, I know his was a faithful interpretation, but, like... It just feels the same to me. Like you could tell me that's Kate Blanchett doing the voiceover and she's like, in the beginning there were seven men who got the and I was like, this oh, I've already seen this. It's one of the yeah. best like if you just cut off the first twelve minutes of the Fellowship of the Ring, it's one of my favorite short films of all time. Don't do it again.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. I, I don't so who's in charge of this one? Like are there notable people that are like directing it all?
2: Yes, I'm sure there's an answer to that question.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I I uh, I don't even really know how to feel. I'm, I'll obviously watch like the first couple episodes and see see what it's like. Yeah, I, but, I mean, I um, love the Lord
2: of the Rings, and so I'm. There's a big part of me that's excited, but I just can't can't get my head around what I'm supposed to expect. And like, it's called the Rings of Power. Like, we're we gonna tell the uh, the stories of the other rings now. I think that's already been told as well. And so, mm. I, I heard somewhere along the line it's gonna feature a younger Aragorn but I haven't heard that ever again, and so who knows?
1: Yeah, I, I know nothing about about what, even rumors about what, what's gonna happen in that. Um, we watched um, The Book of Boba Fett again yesterday. Oh yeah, chapter four. Chapter four, slightly better, still not great.
2: That's, that's how I feel too. I think it, it was definitely better than chapter three. Um, you still got some like weird spy kid action outside that yeah. little, little hospital where the guy turns you into inspector gadget. I really hated that scene. I really hated that you go in there and they're playing like techno rock. It's like, yeah. I was like, when
1: did, since when were there actual like angsty teens? It's so Star
2: atonal. Wars? I think it's, really really dumb i liked all the stuff at the sarlacc pit i thought that was cool i thought the like the mad yep, escape that was a good scene. The escape from jabba's palace with the with the ship was pretty cool and i like that it kind of like teases with that episode last season of mandalorian that we're like coming up against that we're probably going to have a mandalorian crossover in the next episode but and you had the
1: satisfaction of Anton ripping an arm off.
2: yeah that was cool but why did they send him away in the first place just to bring him back the very next. Just episode. to
1: work, yeah. That, that that's so funny. I like when when it happened. I was like, okay, he's gonna probably work with him eventually. But then you told me the Ross thing about like, oh well, he famously doesn't get along with these people, so it just wouldn't work out.
2: Which is true, evidently. Really? Like he to- he tore this guy's arm off, but he also tore like off. if Boba's in charge, he can say, hey, don't tear the arms off of my associates. You work for me. Problem solved. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 clunky. I think that it's going to do wa-
2: a, a bit of a turn now because there's we're four in, there's three left and they're going to do a crossover episode already. And so maybe there's going to be a kind of war that we that mm-hmm. we reach a climax with and that's exciting. Although it also feels like now we're going to put the flashbacks away that he's done with his like back to therapy. Yeah. And so that's really going to change the flow of the show. And so it just yeah. kind of seems for the lack of a better phrase all over the place.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what's the the, the crossover with Man, The Mandalorian?
2: Yeah, they played the Mando theme at the end of this episode. It also was teased earlier in the episode, but the end of the episode, he's standing on his balcony. He's like, we're going we're to need some more associates. And they're like, well, you can pay oh, for right. those. And then you hear the, the Mando score.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. No, I that was totally lost on me. But yeah, It's really great that I you say that,
2: because that. I told Ross it would be lost on people, and he's like, no, it won't.
1: Like, there's no way. Yeah, no, I'm completely lost on I me. Mean, I, I, but I, again, like, it's it's harder for me to pay attention to this one because it's just not as compelling. It doesn't have a so lot of I'll heart like, either.
2: Like, the, like really, yeah. all the heart exists in his relationship with the Tuscans. And you can't ask me after 45 years to care that much about the Tuscans. Maybe for an right. episode. But, like, right. we're going to need him to, like, really care about Fennec or, like, I mean, it's really hard to recreate the love between Mando and Grogu. You're not going to get a Grogu in this show. But, like, we need some kind of sweetness.
1: It would have been really funny if they had, like, a baby Tusken Raider that was supposed to be, like, the (laughs) like, note for note, baby Yoda.
2: Well, it wouldn't be the first time they retreaded some successful territory. Yeah. Two Uh, uh, Christmas-related bits of news. Uh, They announced today they're going to do a sequel to... Um, A Christmas Story and Peter Billingsley returning to play his character again. Um, I don't know why that has to happen. It seems like a terrible idea. I told you earlier in the the holiday season about the movie 8-Bit Christmas, which I think is a nice like spiritual sequel to A Christmas Story that I'll probably never watch again, but like it was nice to watch it once. Um, The other thing that's even more egregious is a Disney Plus uh, series, not a movie, a Santa Claus series starring yet again Tim Allen as Scott Calvin over many weeks. Huh. So to recap, there's been Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. And now Tim Allen going to play Santa Claus yet again in, a, Dis- in a Disney Plus series.
1: Yeah, it's, it's overkill. Yes, it was but overkill also, after I, one. I'm, I'm kind of
2: open to it you are really the devil's advocate tonight aren't you this is a bad idea
1: yeah it definitely is but so was the I was gonna say so was the Mighty Ducks thing but did you know that Emilio Estevez backed out of that he's not gonna be in the next season
2: he refuses to get vaccinated so they fired him
1: apparently that I read an article that said he had had COVID prior to he said it was like it was actually a contract dispute and that he's not an anti-vaxxer he also didn't say that he got the vaccine which would be the easiest way of of yeah showing that you're not an anti-vaxxer but he didn't say that so I assume that he actually hasn't um, got his vaccination in any case I don't know uh, where he's gonna get his money from (laughs)
2: yeah this was like a a great like resurrection ticket for him like he hasn't had an opportunity to be in the spotlight. This was easy money for him to just like come to work and be on Disney plus.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He, I will say he was, he was relatively like nice in his, like, like he ended by like, by wishing all of his friends on the set and like all the cast, like fly ducks, fly kind of thing. I think is how he ended it.
2: Yeah. You don't need (laughs) him. I was
1: like, no, no, you don't. He's not
2: really the heart of the show. Did you get your booster? I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did. It was a bit of a rough next day. Yeah. But to, so yeah, that was the day. Be- no, it was Monday. Monday night, I got it. Okay. So I'm I'm like fine now. Did you get yours? Yeah, I got mine like
2: uh, like ten days ago or something. I got it a while ago. Right, um, right, right. It was I got it in the morning. Got it at like eleven o'clock in the morning, uh, and I expected something would 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 hit me cause it did this with the second shot. Uh, but I got through the whole work day and I felt fine right until like I climbed in bed at midnight that night and I just became a human popsicle. I have never been colder in my, and I'm, I have like three blankets on me and I'm not somebody who gets cold. Uh, right. and I just like to, like to touch me, you get frostbite. It was shocking how cold I was. And then I fell asleep. I slept through the worst of it. Woke up with a headache, took an Advil and I was okay. Nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It seemed like it was just, like, amplifying any soreness that was in my body. Oh, that, like, like really,
2: like, like, sensitive thing where your skin is, like, almost hurts to touch?
1: Yeah, the I got worst. there for sure, like, like on my back while I was lying on the couch. I was like, oh, man, I'm straight up in, like, fever mode. Yeah. But, like, if I was just on the couch watching TV all day, I would not have minded it at all. But just trying to get anything done mm. sucked. Yeah, for sure.
2: Uh, yeah. Squid Game Season 2 confirmed. That was definitely going to happen. Yeah. And Ellen's Game of Games canceled.
1: Oh, that was a thing that was still Yeah, I guess happening? So. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon
2: has one now too, where they like take little games that they invent for the Tonight Show and they do them in primetime with like Well the, uh, I don't know. Link he also have, or something.
1: Like that's my jam. That's that's it.
2: Yeah. But like that's, that, that's my jam okay. is like one of the games I think they play. I don't know what the the show is called.
1: Gotcha. No, well, I oh, I thought there was a, sh- a show called That's My Jam, Maybe. which was more like like the whole band. Maybe it's a spin-off thing that he's starting or whatever. I
2: I, I haven't uh, paid very close attention to it. Jimmy is kind of irritating in those games, right? Okay,
1: that's no, all I have for no, for, no, right.
2: for <laughs> it's all I have for prep. Um, I think it's your turn to pick which show you want to talk about.
1: Cool. I will go ahead. The unfortunate thing is, I don't really remember anyone's name in either show. Um, And I should have written that down. I had to go to the dentist earlier tonight. So I was like in a rush. I I watched How I Met Your Father late. I'll do How I Met Your Father because I just watched it. Okay. But know that I'm going to be talking about Hillary Duff and the people that Hillary Duff is associated with. That's fine. In that way.
2: You do your best. I'll give you 30 seconds to recap the pilot episode of How I Met Your Father in three, two, one, go.
1: So will start Duff is on uh, an Uber on the way to a date. She's convinced she's not the man of her dreams. Anyways, uh, he's about to move to Australia. So she goes back to her house where her uh, roommate's hooking up with a, a British dude that now lives there. And then they all go back to the bar because she doesn't have her phone and she wants to uh, connect with dude at the airport. So they get a drive to the airport with one of the guys that's there who famously failed his proposal um and they try to get another chance at at love at the airport but he kind of shuts her down i'm over time but
2: the general consensus here is that it's it's not good but i think that it has it has an interesting pedigree because those who are really quite familiar with how i met your mother like say myself uh recognize it in this show and so mm. it's saved a little bit by familiarity, but that familiarity comes at the great expense of originality. And so they're following a formula and network sitcom pilots with laugh tracks, I think they can only be so good. Granted, they can <laughs> be better than this. But do I think that it it doesn't have the potential to improve? No, because I've, I've seen this world, I've seen this frankly, this color palette, exactly what this world looks like and it's designed to look exactly like it, I've seen it rally after some doozies because there have been yeah. good episodes of How I Met Your Mother. And so I think that it's not a lost cause, but I I, I thought this first episode was, was pretty bad and, in fact, even for my already fairly low expectations.
1: I think you did a good job of managing expectations for me because, like, off the start, I watching it like i wasn't the one the one nitpick i had the first scene with the uber was that she she actually wasn't friends with these people right and she was like i kind of thought she was
2: and that's an easy fix that doesn't you don't have yeah. to, you don't have to rewrite the episode that much even if she just knows them a little bit
1: yes yeah make them know each other enough to the point where they know, she knows that dude drives an uber and like hey do me a solid so like we're already good enough because yeah. the conversation they have is so inappropriately already. Yeah. And inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just, yeah, start there. Anyways, I can make my peace with that. But, and I thought the, the scene was relatively funny. The chemistry was good, whatever. But then there were multiple other nitpicky things in the show that have to be done, but the level of um, uh, exposition was like kind of crazy. Like, oh, yeah. I'm the. I'm the cool best friend. Yes. And also, uh, her mom is a crazy party girl right. who jumps from boyfriend to boyfriend and her dad wasn't around. If there's anyone who shouldn't believe in love, it's her. Yeah. Like what a crazy thing. So, which again, they did with things.
2: Ted Mosby. Like that is he like, it's yeah. the same character, but now it's, it's Lizzie McGuire.
1: Yeah. And I don't mind, I don't think Hillary Duff's a great actress, but I think she's pretty good in this. Like it's what, she she fills a role like i think that you and i probably have a softer spot for lizzie mcguire Je- jen and i like jen thinks lizzie mcguire is super hot which and she's fine with me saying the same um, yeah, i mean i
2: loved lizzie mcguire there's no question about that and that that is why i that is why i was excited about this show knowing that a a, a second attempt at a reboot of a show that was tired already was a bad idea i was like okay we're gonna mm-hmm. do it with with Duff, I'm psyched. And part of that is because I'm sad that the Lizzie reboot died. And actually, she talked about right. that in the press today. She basically confirmed that, like, yes, what you heard, what leaked was true. The premise was Lizzie's turning 30 and she has to move back in with her parents because she catches her fiance cheating. And uh, her biggest issue was that they needed to keep it PG. And she thought that restricted the. It, it insulted the audience and it restricted the growth of the character. And I think that's like very astute. it's, yeah. it's inter- I think probably she took this show. And I think the idea of forecasting her came from, well, that failed. Now we can make Lizzie fuck. And yeah. I don't know if we in, in, a P- in
1: a very PG way.
2: Well, kind of, except for that this is the Barney Stinson world too. And by the way, that's one of the, the formulaic things that bugs me is that they're way around having a... Me too. Unfriendly character like Barney is make her a girl,
1: right? And the girls supposed to be the roommate. You think? Yes. Yeah, I guess so. She's like just randomly. She's up just crass
2: in like in a way that you would never be, but you grow to like right. her. I guess. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some of that stuff was a little cringy. I thought. I thought the um, the couple. Uh, the the doctor couple was probably like one of the stronger points.
2: The couple that gets engaged, yeah, that's also in the How I Met Your Mother pilot. Yeah, they're
1: they're like the Marshall. They they get engaged in
2: the pilot.
1: Oh yeah, okay. So it's very very note for note. See, it it almost kind of helped being away from it. Yeah, in that way, I didn't know that all of these things were. Well, like another
2: another thing you wouldn't know is that like something that How I Met Your Mother always did pretty well but especially early on was create a sort of secret language with the audience and it came in the form of these like little in-universe philosophies like the such and such theory or the so and so incident or the right there's all these like little terms that they would come yeah. up with definitions for that would help you feel like you were on the inside of the lingo It was a really clever way of, of building an intimacy with the audience and so in this episode they try and do one of those and that's sophie hillary duff's that's sophie's brooklyn bridge theory where you shouldn't walk down right. the brooklyn bridge unless it's with your uh, your soulmate. And that's very cute. Right. That's fine. In the pilot episode of how I met your mother, it's called the olive theory. And the premise is uh, a couple should only be together. If only one of them likes olives, because like that's, olives. The, that's the perfect balance. And then you won't fight over the olives or something. And then right. also in the pilot, it gets deconstructed when you find out that Marshall secretly does like olives. And by the way, also, Sophie can walk down the Brooklyn bridge by herself. Um, right. And so it's, it's corny and I don't know how effectively they're going to do that going forward. I don't know if it helps or hurts that I have such an intimate knowledge of how I met your mother.
1: Hard to say. I mean, like it, it really is like one of those things where now that we know the first episode is note for note, the same, it would be interesting to see how the rest plays out.
2: Yeah, it would be.
1: But will you keep watching it?
2: Uh, because I owe the world a little bit more, I'll probably watch another one. We'll see how it goes. I'll tell you what. What is satisfying? Um, this was the best moment. Is is the final frame when they come back to Jesse's apartment, and it's right. it's Marshall and Lily's apartment.
1: Right.
2: Wow, this is a great place, you guys. Yeah, we got it off the the Wesleyan chat room. These guys left their swords on the wall. That's how I met your mother, and and so right. like as if it didn't already feel like the same world. Now it does, and I feel a little bit more comfortable with it and safe within it. And so, like, even if it's okay. not that strong, like, I thought that was a cool idea.
1: And the bar was the same, too, was it not? Different bar. Different bar. Okay. Different bar, but...
2: Wow, that's a really good point. Their apartment is supposed to be above the bar. So it's insane that they this apartment is going to be a mainstay of the show, but they're going to hang You're out not. in a different bar that's so interesting and stupid okay mm. maybe they rearrange but the also, bar or something i don't so, know
1: sometimes you get like i know people who live in bars that don't necessarily go to that bar because they they're just tired of it or they, but the bar is the same yeah
2: it's essentially the same you're not going yeah. to it to an irish pub a block away if you've got one downstairs that's true yeah that's a really good point. I wish I had an
1: Irish pub downstairs.
2: The other, the other formatic difference, by the way, is that uh, the flashbacks, the narrator gets the one shot rather than the kids. And so yes. it's Kim Catrell sitting on her couch talking to her son on FaceTime or something. And the son is the voiceover, but Kim Catrell is like in the shot. And so like, that's, kind yeah. of, that's kind of interesting, I guess. I don't know how many more of those they're going to shoot. Um, but it's kind of the opposite of the Bob Saget thing. And by the way, the end of the episode is in loving memory of Bob Saget, which I thought was nice.
1: Yeah, that was nice.
2: Yeah. Good of them to do. Um, do you give it your S?
1: Uh, I mean, if someone asked me, should I watch How I Met Your Father? I would be like, did you like How I Met Your Mother? Yes. Okay, well, the first episode's pretty much the exact same with maybe a little more clutter, but. I believe that there's the space to make it okay. That's really different. Have diplomatic. all the yeah? Have all the episodes been been put up so far? Just two. Just two.
2: Yeah, and they're not going to be on Disney Plus Star until March.
1: I'd say, you know what? I'll take the optimism side on it. I'll say, yeah, I give wow. a go wow. ahead. Go ahead and watch it. I don't. <laughs> I, <Okay.
2: laughs> I don't think it's. I don't think it's good, but I will continue to check it out just out of an allegiance to the universe. Um,
1: one I more th- won't watch it anymore. By the way
2: one more thing I'll say about it is uh, that you, you actually found her to be an okay actor for maybe the first time I saw all the brushstrokes and I thought she was an abysmal actor in this, I, yeah, in the I, bar in particular. I was like, like watching through my fingers at a couple of points. I was like, Lizzie girl, no, this is terrible. I think, I've,
1: I think I've got a little more exposure to Hillary Duff because she's in that show younger. and yeah. Jan watched that a lot. So I, I did, like, I have seen her on that, and I, like, have fully acknowledged that she is just a bad actor. Right. Um, So I think that it just kind of, like, it's natural to me now. So the first
2: person I heard that from was our good pal Jade, who pointed out that Hilary Duff's not a good actor, and I didn't realize that before. I I mean, I take Jade's uh, opinion on this kind of thing very seriously, but I always liked her, and so I just didn't think too much about it. But I I texted Jade this morning, and I said, we're recording the How I Make Father podcast tonight, so if you have any, like, Hillary Duff acting comments to make, now would be your opportunity. And what I expected, or what I was really suggesting, is that, like, if if you want to say something, like, shady about Hillary Duff, like, you have an opportunity to do that because, like she's not good in this show. But instead what Jade sent me is a like three minute Ted talk on the technical differences between good acting and bad acting. (laughs) And uh, I'm gonna insert it right here.
0: As quickly as I can and without using any visual examples to make my point, here's Jade Explains, what is good acting, what is bad acting, and why do we see both in mainstream media? I feel like if I explain like a couple of really basic things, it might help lots of people actually understand why some performances do and don't work for them. The first thing that's important to know is in a recorded piece of work, what actually is the actor's job? What is actually in the actor's control? What they actually say, the dialogue is written by a script writer, the tone or the mood is usually set by the director or the editor, or, you know, in many cases, the composer who's writing the score. I think the best way to identify what the actor's work actually is in a piece of recorded media is to ask yourself, what is this person doing to get what they want and what are they adding? Obviously there are lots of different schools of thought about what actors do and and what makes good acting, good acting. But I think that a pretty uncontroversial statement to make is that actors take action. So like, what are you doing? What's your action? What tactic are you using to get what you want? So put very simply, you want something in a scene, you try one tactic to get that thing, and then if it doesn't work, the next time you speak, you're gonna be trying something else. If I'm in a fight with someone, maybe I accuse, and then I condescend, and then I teach, and then I guilt, and then I correct. And these changes can be subtle. Obviously, the size that you're gonna play is gonna be different on a Disney Channel show versus an HBO drama, or the way that you play it in a theater is gonna be different from the way that you play it on camera. But one thing that is true about all great performances is that. actors really do go out and do that tactic fully. And sometimes where you maybe end up seeing performances that don't work as well for you is because you will see actors who like have the naturalism part of it down, but they don't actually make those really strong choices. They just sort of play the mood. And while being natural on camera is nice, and it's certainly not a skill that everybody has, news anchors do it every day with a lot less help. So if a performance ever isn't working for you, it's like can be really helpful to say like, okay, what is this person doing in this moment? And are they really teaching or are they just kind of playing the teachy mood of the line? Are they really condescending to the person or is that just a context clue that I'm getting from the writing and they're just kind of in a naturalistic way saying the words. And I kind of tried to think of like a good example of like a great performance where you can really, really see this. But I feel like actually a really good way to demonstrate this point is to uh, use an example that isn't necessarily held up as like a great acting performance, but it still really, really works. And actually, I think you can look no further than How I Met Your Mother. It is not a perfect show. The female characters in it, I mean, are not especially well-written, but even still, you get some excellent performances, especially from Allison Hannigan and Neil Patrick Harris, but even from Jason Siegel and Josh Radner. You really see, even in not particularly well-written moments, they commit to the bit and they make choices. The jokes are written on the page, but the specialness is from the choice that they made. It's from the action that they're doing to the nth degree. So that's what I would say. It's, are they doing something or are they reading what was basically already on the script for them in a naturalistic way so go forth show show listeners don't be fooled by pretty people who play the mood look for bold choices and tactical shifts that elevate the text on the page
2: she just did like such a fabulous job uh, of breaking that down in like a scholastic way and I so appreciated it and that we didn't have wow. to talk about uh, specifically Hillary Duff being bad but she's still able to talk about how there is. A lot of merit in the way Say How I Met Your Mother is presented uh, in terms yeah. of performance, and I just I, I really appreciated the effort on Jade's part.
1: Nice. Uh okay. okay,
2: I am going to recap the first episode of Peacemaker, which is a spin-off of the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, it is on HBO and it stars John Cena. Um, okay. Okay. okay, I didn't see The Suicide Squad, by the way. I, I, I imagine that, it hinders, that hinders my enjoyment of this, but yeah, I, I think it was followable.
1: It is really funny that you went two weeks in a row watching a show that stems from a movie that you probably should have watched. And I didn't watch Suicide Squad either, so I'm on the same page. On this yeah, show. I have but no Andrew foundation, no. So uh, we're going to recap in three, two, one
2: presumably in the events of the suicide squad peacemaker uh is responsible for like a lot of death somehow because i guess he gets uh arrested but also put in hospital in this uh series premiere he is released from the hospital with the intention of then being incarcerated but he just kind of like walks and so he uh goes out and he tries to uh he goes back to his his dad's like secret lair where he has like gear and he picks up his bald eagle sidekick and then he gets tracked down by the FBI mm-hmm. and I've run out of time, um, or or you know whatever this world's version of the FBI is and they surround him in his little sad person's trailer and he convinces them does he to let him like be a hero the hero that everyone needs but like then he uh, gets picked up at a bar by like a hyena woman and. They hook up, but then she tries to murder him, and so he kills her back, and this is like a lot of violence. Does the, did I hit on at yeah. least the important parts? Yeah, I think so. Did I get anything I wrong? Think
1: you nailed it. Um No, I would say the the relationship with the father is like extremely strange and yeah. yeah. Uh and other than that. No, I think you nailed it, besides the opening credits se- sequence. Well, I mean, that's, is that is
2: unskippable. The, that's the gold. If I was going to watch this show going forward, there's no way. Rarely is there an unskippable theme song, but that is so watchable. It's this weird, it's like, really so like, lo-fi dance number with, like, really bad yeah. steps. And it's the, it's the yeah. cast in characters, and they're doing this, like, weird... It's almost like square dancing. And the yeah. music, by the way, like, the, the glam rock is a very big part of the footprint of this show.
1: Totally. The, like, 80s kind of hair metal style rock. Which which is, which is so fine. Fun.
2: I find it to be, like, a little hacky at this point. Um, and even more so when you consider that the man behind this show is James Gunn, who is also behind the Guardians of the Galaxy. And so, like... Yeah, My instinct is to be like, okay, well, this is DC's version of Deadpool because it's violent and irreverent, but also it's also a little bit Guardians-ish, and that's because of the soundtrack, and also it's got (laughs) James Gunn behind every episode, and Mm -hmm. so he's starting to feel a little bit like a
1: one-trick pony. Yeah, I I see what you mean. What did you think about uh, John Cena?
2: In general, I find John Cena very annoying, and so...
1: jen said the same thing
2: yeah i mean he was exactly what they hired him to do i think he's probably a nice person i don't have a problem with john cena i just don't find him entertaining um no and like i think there were some funny moments too Uh, an afterthought i had about peacemaker and i don't know if this is obvious to other people but is that he's he's a parody of captain america isn't he like the way he wears that helmet and the colors are the same, and like yeah, you're right. And like the also if like you were actually going to do an honest depiction of like what a Captain America would be, he'd be violent and stubborn and sexist and maybe a little racist, and like that's what <laughs> right. Peacemaker is. Yeah, maybe accidentally racist. Which is which is what he is. Like he's kind of yeah. well meaning. Like a lot he's of only, yeah, characters he's, before like
1: him. A, a place of, of ignorance. Uh, Lack of intelligence, yeah, and ignorance, yeah. Yeah, and so I think he did the role
2: fine. Like I said, I didn't see him in the previous movie, but, like, it had kind of a good sense of humor. It is um, brutal at times. Like, it, the whole knife fight at the end had me terrified. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, a lot of stabbing. A lot of stabbing.
1: Some of the quotes I found from him, like, what, <laughs> what he yells to the girl while she's, like, Brushing her teeth in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to repeat what he said. <laughs> no, that made me laugh so hard though. Yeah. Like it was just, I would get caught off guard. With I, I found it very like a little, a little bland. Kind of funny. Like there were just certain parts that that really made me laugh, and I wasn't really expecting that. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious to watch the next episode. I, I mean, he's kind of he kind of did
2: the same. Nude scene in train wreck, right? And like in many ways, yeah. like his train wreck character is what he's always doing with just like different versions of vulgarity.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um yeah, it's almost like it it would be really funny if we played this guy who is like kinda sure of himself but also kind of insecure
2: he has something going on, right? Like, and like I said, like he is well-meaning and and I guess that's what the Danielle Brooks character said too when she was talking to, that's I guess a twist at some point that like she's talking to Viola Davis on the phone and she calls her mom and she's like reporting back about like what Peacemaker is like and she's like, well, you know, he's like sexist and, and he's kind of annoying but also kind of sad, she says. Right. And like he seems to want to like like, there's that kind of tense moment with the tough girl in the bar where she calls him handsome and he's like, you think I'm handsome? Like, maybe he does just kind of want to be loved. Like, maybe that's what he's looking for because his dad is also a piece
1: of shit. Yeah, huge piece of
2: shit. I like that his sidekick is an eagle named Eagley. Like, that's the other Captain America joke. Like, it's so right. on the nose. But his the eagle's name is Eagley <laughs> is so clunky and funny.
1: And and he seems to be like insanely impressed by the things that Eagley does. Like yeah. like a lot of people would be like, yeah, Eagley will hug me. But like when when Eagle, Eagley hugs him, he's like, oh my god, are you <laughs> seeing this? This is the best moment of my life. I like
2: the guy in the diner who was like, do you have a daughter named Dottery? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's Steve Agey. So yeah. he's like one of the writers on it, and uh, he famously played like the the kind of crazy homeless guy outside Jess's apartment, the new girl. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think he's buddies with Sarah Silverman. I've definitely heard her talk about him before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think like Pete Davidson,
2: the nerdy bus boy in that scene, who's like excited that peacemakers back. And then there's a a quick scene out back by the dumpster. And he's like, (laughs) like celebrating that peacemakers back. And then this other guy comes out and he like cooks up this lie about how he was excited because actually, he found out his girlfriend's pregnant, but she's not really a girlfriend. He's, he's excited because that's an abortion. Do you want to come? No, I'm not going to come to I your abortion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, so was, weird. Go ahead.
1: That was so strange, and it never came back to play. And it, like, he must be in the movie at some point. Like, there must be some tie in there.
2: Is he um, vigilante? Like, he, you know how like Peacemaker gets that weird phone call earlier in the episode, and he's like, "P, it's V."
1: Oh right. He's got this like guy who like yeah. wants
2: to meet up with him. I think he's vigilante.
1: That must be him. Or yeah. he's
2: just like I think he's a super villain in the making because he's like an outsider who's gonna get shafted at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I give him my S. am I'm, I'm not completely opposed <laughs> to to Peacemaker. I think it could be fun, and I'm not a DC guy.
2: No, right? me neither. You are the devil's advocate tonight, though, because the obvious answer for both of these shows is that they're not that good. No.
1: <laughs> well, okay. If I was going to give my ass to one, I would give it to Peacemaker.
2: Yeah, I, if I was going to give my ass to one of them, it would be how I met your father because of my attachment to it. I, I, I don't, I don't connect with Peacemaker Therefore, at all. I had there's nothing in Peacemaker for me at all because I'm not a John Cena fan and I don't like the violence. And I also think that you know it's a little bit like in the Bo Burnham, that funny feeling song when he references Deadpool self-awareness and he's just like listing all the most cynical yeah. things in the world. It's like, yeah, we can enjoy this, but like, this is fucking cynical because like by subverting the, the sincerity of superhero stories, but also being a superhero story and reaping all the rewards from that is like really hypocritical and and cynical. And so like, I, I kind of, I'm really tired of the we're doing the comic book thing, but also it's bloody and we say the F word.
1: Yeah. I I mean, maybe the show is self-aware, but in this case, like the character isn't self-aware, I think is the the difference there. It's the difference
2: between him and Deadpool, but I I just think the show exists for inauthentic reasons. Not that everything needs to have some kind of like important, um, uh, soul to it, but, uh, I just, I, I find the whole thing to be so tiresome and, like I said, there's not there's not enough in it for me.
1: It's fair. Now I feel like I should take my ass away from how I met your father. Can I do that retroactively? Sure, you
2: can, but not because of I'm what I take said. That away.
1: Okay. No, no. I'm just gonna. I, I feel like I have to be I think to have a little more of a of an opinion on this and and how I met your father. I don't think I will actually watch again. But Peacemaker, I think I will actually watch again. Look, so if, if going you're, you're
2: going to be a successful firefighter, you're going to have to learn to be discerning. That's right. You're gonna That's have right. to you're gonna have to not give your ass all the time.
1: I know, I'm gonna be yelling that at the station and people are gonna be like, What are you talking about?
2: That fire did not get my ass.
1: <laughs> I will not be watching any more of that.
2: This new guy's good. Who who hired this guy?
1: <laughs> Check out rookie over there.
2: Uh, Will Smith's dear mother just turned 85 and a video was shared of uh, she and her son Will uh, at her 85th birthday dancing to a Whitney Houston song and it's a very sweet moment.
1: Was it I Will Always Love You?
2: I didn't watch the video because why would I do that? But I think it was probably I want to dance with somebody. There was like an energy to the idea. Oh, all right.
1: Yeah. Nice. Okay. Wasn't a slow song. No, no. Okay, good.
2: No, I Will Always Love You as like a painful heartbreak song. That'd be such a weird song to sing with your <laughs> 85-year-old mother.
1: <laughs> well, like, you wouldn't think that she'd be able to get down that quickly. No,
2: I think she was boogieing. I think it was like a fun party.
1: All right. Okay. I, I think that he should have taken the opportunity to do something like play uh, Parents Just Don't Understand or something. <laughs> make it about him.
2: Parents Still Don't Understand. <laughs> yeah, I Got him one little fight. And you got scared.
1: <laughs> you were the one who made me move to Bel Air. She did make
2: him everything that he was. Do we trust we
1: barely uh barely saw her in the actual show.
2: Do we trust Will Smith's mom?
1: Sure. Yeah. I'll trust her. I mean she's eighty-five. She's turned the corner at this point.
2: Would I have trusted the, sta- the statute of limitations on giving birth to Will Smith have expired. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. She made her mistake. (laughs) She did, but she's grown. She did the best job she could. She took a dancing class, and now she's good. All that being said, never trust Will Smith.
1: Never trust Will Smith. You said... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I upspoke there. Well,
2: there wasn't... Yeah, you upspoke. There was no resolving cadence, and so I couldn't press stop.
1: I meant to pull the nerd wire. And do-do-loot-do...
2: Dude, dude, dude. Dude, we're gonna get sued now by Nardware. Oh. Never trust us Never trust Wilson.